0: Hey my name's Emma. Hey my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic.
1: Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten-free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola?
0: Well, obviously, y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, besides just eating it straight out of the bag because it's that delicious, I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola honey berries macadamia nuts maybe some pecans I don't know whatever my little heart is feeling but that is my favorite way to enjoy Avinola. and I especially love this company and this brand because a it's a small business and b it is women owned and created we absolutely love Maggie and if you haven't already go back and listen to her episode but you guys can use discount code pilots pandemic for 15 percent off your order of avinola so code pilots pandemic hey y'all welcome back to this week's episode of the pilots pandemic podcast you're here with your host emma who is a little bit under the weather today so forgive my voice um and our lovely
1: co-host maddie hey guys i'm feeling great today (laughs)
0: thank goodness someone can carry this show and we are joined by our special guest rich rafferty if i'm saying that right that is
2: correct thank you guys for having me i'm excited to be on
0: yeah so we always at the top of the show kind of ask our guests how they got into aviation like where did your passion for flight begin
2: well I think my passion for flying really started when I took my first airline flight when I was a kid. My family was going to Disneyland. I was probably like four years old. And we were sitting in the terminal waiting to get on the airplane. And I was like nervous. (laughs) I sat with my whole family. And I remember going up to my dad and being like, dad, like I don't really wanna go down the jet bridge. Like I'm scared, you know? (laughs) And he just looked at my entire family goes, all right guys, we're not going to Disney. Rich is too scared to go down the jet bridge. (laughs) And <laughs> so my dad's kind of a savage like that. It probably says a little bit about, you know, my upbringing. <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, he just raised us to have, you know, to conquer our fears, basically. But I ended up going on the flight, obviously. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I, I couldn't get enough of it. I, the views were really what drew me in, I think, at first. And any flight or any traveling we did as a family after that, I always got to sit in the window seat. So (laughs) that was kind of where it all began. Uh, But as far as my actual, you know, piloting, uh, it didn't start until I was in college. And I went to school for business. And along the way, I kind of found aviation uh, at Liberty University. They have a pretty good program. And that's kind of where it all started for me was at Liberty.
1: Um, so you did start your aviation career a little bit later in life. Cause I feel like a lot of pilots are a little bit scared to do that when they, or at least when they talk about their career, they always say, oh, well, I started a little bit later and that was a little bit, uh, scary for me, but was that kind of a struggle for you when you first began being a little bit older and starting in aviation?
2: It was a big jump. Yeah. I was already two years through my degree at Liberty when I switched. I went there initially for business and it was, it was interesting. I mean, <laughs> I was in some flying classes with you know people coming straight out of high school and I was already technically a junior at Liberty. So it was interesting. I kind of had to take a lot of uh, heavy course loads and, you know, kind of cram what would be normally, you know, a longer four year drawn out degree into kind of a two year uh, process to try and graduate on time. So it was stressful. And, you know, as far as your question about, was it a big, a big move? And was it kind of nerve wracking? I I would say yes. And, you know, anytime you make a big change in your life, it can be, uh, it can be stressful and, you know, nerve wracking. But looking back, I would definitely say that I made the right decision. and I I don't have any regrets about it.
1: Yeah. So like, what was the turning point for you since you said you had already done school for two years with your business stuff? Like, what was the aha, maybe I'm going to, the aha moment, like, I'm going to go and do aviation now?
2: Well, there's, there were multiple. I mean, there was a lot of things. Um, the main things I would say were that I was just not happy with what I was learning, pursuing a, de- a uh, degree in entrepreneurship. All my teachers, I don't think any of them were actually entrepreneurs. (laughs) So that was kind of frustrating. And, uh, you know, I was just, I felt like I was kind of learning outdated information. Uh, So much has changed with the internet. And all my business books were kind of based on the pre-internet age. And they were, I felt like they were teaching me how to work for someone else's business instead of run my own. So the combination of those problems and also just feeling frustrated with the college system in general. actually found aviation because I was planning on dropping out. I looked up a list of highest paying jobs without a college degree and pilot was really high on the list. And that's not why I picked it. That's not why I picked the career for the money, but that kind of got me down the rabbit hole. You know, I was like, ah, pilot, that would be so cool. I've always loved flying and, you know, flying on the airliners. And so it just kind of got me going down that path. And once I started, I just never stopped. I just, the more I researched it, the more I seemed to think it would be a good option. And then I ended up taking a discovery flight and the rest is really history from there.
1: I really like love that story because I have a friend that kind of did the same thing. He was already an accountant though. He was working in accounting and he lived in downtown Seattle and was seeing all the float planes fly over. So (laughs) every day he'd look out the window and he'd be like, you know, that seems like a way better job than an office job. And he quit one day and then got his uh, PPL and went to the airlines and now he's flying for horizon. Uh, I always like kind of the turnaround, like the switching mindset where you give up something for something better. And that definitely sounds like what you did, but uh, I was wondering what are some of the struggles both like in life and in, in your aviation career that have been difficult for you to overcome?
2: Well, I first of all, I wanna go back to you saying the planes flying overhead, because I totally relate to that. Um, when I was at Liberty and I was studying business, I always saw the planes flying overhead. The airport was like right next to the campus. So mm. the planes would come in on final and go right over the campus. So I can totally relate to that story. That's awesome. Um, but yeah. as far as my biggest struggles in aviation and in life, I mean, the pandemic was definitely number one on the list. I was supposed to graduate from college in May of 2020, and I ended up not being able to graduate until September because I couldn't finish my flight course. I finished all the other classes online, but you can't really fly airplanes online. So <laughs> got pushed back all the way until uh, July, they opened the school back again, it was closed from March until July. And yeah, I mean, it took a while to get back acclimated to the airplane that I was training in. And just, you know, there was a lot of things that just kind of really went wrong uh, with that flight course and trying to cram the rest of my uh, the rest of my course as fast as possible to get done. So I would say in aviation, that was probably the biggest challenge for me trying to Go from you know four months of not flying at all, and if I'm being honest, very little studying, <laughs> to go back and uh, when the school opened up again, trying to finish it up in a limited amount of time before the next semester started, um, because I was living at my brother's apartment and he was going to be coming back as well as his roommates, and it was just it was very stressful, and my back was kind of up against the wall. So as far as aviation goes, I would say that was the largest the largest struggle throughout my training career. Uh, but in life, uh, my biggest struggles, that's, that's up there for sure. COVID was, was tough for everyone, I think. Uh, but when I look back, there was other ones. I had surgery on my knee, and that was actually something that was so difficult at the time that actually ended up being huge for me. I think all big struggles like that, when you come through the other side, it really leads you to kind of almost level up as a person. You, the person you were before wasn't able to handle that large trauma or stress. But once you come out the other side and you've grown from it, you're stronger. And I found that with, with my knee surgery, with going through COVID. Um, so those were kind of some of the big two. My knee surgery actually kind of led me to aviation in a way because when I had surgery on my knee, all I had was studying. And that's when I really realized I didn't like business. Before that, the first two years of business. I was so busy with working out and, you know, snowboarding all the time at Liberty on their Snowflex center. It's like a fake snowboard mountain you can use year round. Pretty cool. Shout out to Snowflex there. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I was so busy with my extracurricular activities. I didn't really care about whether I liked what I was studying or not. Um, But once I lost those, that's when I really was like, wow, I got to make a change. So there's little points like that where you have almost what seems like a traumatic experience, But when you come out the other end stronger, you realize, oh, wow, that shaped me into who I am now. And it can, you can really turn your negatives into a positive, into a positive if you learn from it.
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I feel like you found like the silver lining in your injury. I've had knee surgery as well. I totally get where you're coming from and it's a long recovery. So I'm glad that you were able to be so positive and also find aviation when you were kind of not in a great place.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I it took me about 3 years to really feel like my knee was back to where it was before and probably 4 years to feel like now that it's actually stronger than it was before. So yeah, it's it's been a whole process but um there's this guy Ben Patrick online. He goes by the knees over toes guy and oh, his yeah. program has ab- you follow him too. Yeah, his yes, program so has absolutely totally accelerated my knee recovery and I finally feel like it's stronger than it was before. So it's powerful.
1: That's awesome.
0: I feel like I've gotten very lucky, like never breaking or injuring anything, but I, as far as being an athlete, only rode horses. So unless I got bucked off really hard, I was okay for the most part, but
2: (laughs) I've always wanted to do that.
0: It dude, You got to do it. It's one of those things where like, once you learn how to do it, it's so it's such a great experience. Like, it's just a lot of fun.
2: I could see myself owning some horses one day maybe for somewhere. I think that would be a cool, a cool uh, retirement thing, you know, have some horses yeah. and go ride. I would enjoy that.
0: Well, it definitely teaches your, like, if you have children, like, how to be responsible, because that was the big niche, is, like, if you're going to have horses, like, you got to be able to take care of them, and so we were at the barn, like, pretty much every single day, um <clears throat> so have to keep your morals up, it's rewarding, though, um so I did want to ask you, like, what your init- initial reaction was to how much training costs, but I think it'd be kind of interesting to ask you how that looks for someone who is in an aviation college. Um, Because I know a lot about like ATP and schools like that, accelerated programs, but I've never really talked to anyone about how that works when you're in school. So if you could elaborate on that a little bit.
2: Yeah, sure. So I think the main advantage to doing it through a college is that you can get the federal student loans to cover your flight training. Whereas otherwise, if you did it outside of a college, it's much more difficult to get the loans. Uh, you have to get a private loan or you'd have to pay for it out of pocket. So that to me was a major advantage for finishing it at Ad Liberty and, you know, kind of finishing what I started there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's expensive no matter how you slice it, whether you do it, you know, outside of a college or with a college, it's it's pretty pricey no matter what. I think one of the advantages is to doing it through a college is you have that degree to fall back on. So, mm-hmm. you know, let's say I get injured or something and can't fly anymore. I have a, I have a degree that I could potentially use to do something else. You know, my degree is in aeronautics, so it would have to be something somewhat flying related, I guess. Um, but
1: you the reality be like, is Business side, now that I know that you have like that partial business mindset, like I could see you going to like a business side or you could do like corporate side of things. Like there's so many things you could do with your degree.
2: Yeah. The funny thing is, I have more credits than is required for a business minor, but it's not the right credits. So they won't give me one. So thanks, Liberty. (laughs) Oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I actually really enjoyed my experience there. I do, I do tell people that college can be a really great option. I don't think it's necessarily required to become a pilot right now. They will hire you without a degree. But uh, I think I had a good experience. So overall, I'd say, you know, it was expensive, but I'm happy that I went to Liberty and I don't really think that I would have found flying without Liberty. So I'm very thankful for my
0: experience there. Um, when you, so you're CFI now, um, when you started looking at like jobs as a CFI, what were you expecting when you kind of went out? Like, did, did the pay shock you at all?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, uh-huh. I think it did. Uh, I don't, so it, it looks good on paper, right? Because, you know, most places, at least in my area, they'll offer about 25 or $30 an hour which sounds really good. I mean, when you're coming out of college, that's a pretty decent paycheck. Uh, but what you don't realize is you're probably, I mean, the maximum you can fly is eight hours a day. And that's kind of a rarity, at least where I'm from in Pittsburgh, because, you know, three months out of the year, it's going to be cloudy and cold. So you really can't fly <laughs> most of the time through, you know, December through March, pretty much. So I think the first, this I've been a CFI for a year now. So Um, going through that the first time was a little bit surprising. And I think it's just important for people to realize like, yes, you are offered 25 to 30 an hour, but will you actually fly a typical nine to five? No, it's, and if you do, it's extremely exhausting and you will easily get burnt out if you're doing that, you know, five to seven days a week. I get tired after I do about three flights. If I'm being honest, there's days where I do more, there's days where I do less, but after I do about three good flights with private pilot students, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I it's mentally exhausting to kind of be on your toes the entire flight and be ready to take controls and you know make sure the person's not necessarily trying to kill you. So I think that surprised of, me.
0: It takes a lot of attention. Um, and people don't really understand that. I've always said that. Um, I can't imagine how tiring it is especially like depending on the conditions like in the middle of summer here in north well i'm in south carolina now but in north carolina in the middle of summer it is just wow like excruciating heat i mean i have mad respect for anyone who flies as a cfi in the peak of summer it is that's hard work
2: oh yeah it's like it's like teaching someone in a sauna (laughs) at least if you're doing pattern work
0: (laughs) yeah for real yeah real. People don't realize. Oh yeah.
2: Oh yeah. (laughs) Yep. And it's it's taxing. It takes mental energy too, as well. You know, it's, it's a whole combination of things, but yeah, I think that was pretty surprising, you know, to see, you know, you do the math in your head. You're like, oh wow, make $30 an hour, eight hours a day. You know, you're doing the math, but it doesn't always equal out that way, at least not where I'm from. So, um, yeah, I think that was a little bit surprising, but overall I really do enjoy teaching and the paycheck is, is the the one thing that maybe I would, I would, you know, like to change, but <laughs> mm-hmm. not much I can do about it. So I'm just building my hours and enjoying the process.
1: Well, I think that's interesting too, because when you were talking about, oh, well, if it's a hot day and Emma was saying, you know, in summertime, no one really wants to fly because it's so hot. Like I didn't even not think about that when you're planning your work day, like weather is such a big thing for you guys. And it's very easy to be like, Today is not a great day for flying, especially if it's like a a new person flying. So, um that could be a struggle for you as a CFI, but what is your favorite part about being a CFI? And your and then also your least favorite part, too.
2: Favorite part's easy. I love watching people improve. I really do. It's so rewarding to me to, you know, be teaching someone and then watch it click for them and they actually start to get it and improve. That to me is just so rewarding. That's what I love about my job. It's fun. I enjoy that feeling. And helping someone achieve their goals is, is super cool to me. Uh, my least favorite part about it, uh, probably the paycheck, like we said. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, this is kind of different from school to school. But my, the, the way my school has it set up is my schedule is so variable. I'm basically on call for 12 hours a day. Anyone can schedule, uh, schedule me. At their leisure, within 24 hours, um, from 8:30 a.m. to 8:30 p.m. So um, that can be a little bit challenging. Just figuring out how to structure your day. And I've had days where I had someone book at 8:30 a.m. and then my next flight was until 7 p.m. So it's just just you know having to go back and forth from the airport and things like that can be can be a struggle. So, um, but overall, you know, those are just little things and as they say, you know, it wouldn't be a job if there wasn't something to complain about. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so yes. I, overall, I really do enjoy the job and, you know, I would do it forever. I think if I was able to get a, get to a point where I, I didn't have to worry about the money, but I, I want to start a family and, you know, have enough income to support that family and kind of move out of my parents' house and, you know, the whole thing, get my own house. And so, I'm not able to do that right now on the amount of money I'm making from instructing. So that's why I'm moving on, but I do enjoy it. And I would do it forever. If I could,
1: I can really tell that you love uh, training people because of all of your videos that you post on Instagram, you always look so happy and you're so good at at teaching them. Like they seem so comfortable with you. So you do like a really good job of showing that on your social media too.
2: Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah it's it could uh could be like a,
0: a check ride examiner or
2: something yeah,
0: like that i would i've, I would I've love always that. wanted yeah i thought that i've always thought about that as like that could be such a cool job because there's really not a lot of cool check ride examiners
2: yeah it would be fun it's a tough thing to get into it's kind of all about who you know yeah. i was actually just talking to my check ride examiner when i just did my most recent check ride about that and he was like yeah it's kind of a long waiting list and you kind of got to. Play the politics game a little bit to get your foot in the door, but it's it's a good job once you get there for sure. They have a good thing going.
1: Airfare healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They source more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy unique and have a long shelf life and they're perfect for keeping you feeling great on in the flight deck
0: our listeners can get 50 percent off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code pilots podcast at checkout so go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more again that's airfarepouch.com to use our code pilot's podcast for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks. So Rich, I think it was pretty interesting how you got in touch with us and how you contacted us. Um, you had essentially learned that someone you knew at your school had lost their life to suicide through one of Maddie's posts. So can you share that story and why you felt compelled to connect with Maddie and I?
2: Sure. Yeah. Uh, That was, I believe it was your post on national aviation day that I saw uh, somebody, it was actually my instructor from Liberty had shared that post and yeah I just uh, it was very surprising shocking to me uh, to to get that news via social media uh, so you know I read your post and i and I immediately identified with it just because of what you know we're learning that news on in on the spot and uh, just in general so yeah I knew Joey starr from liberty he was uh he was a really nice guy <clears throat> he actually took his commercial check ride the same day I did, we flew down together to the check ride and he passed and I failed. (laughs) And, uh, I was upset after, and you know, it's not fun. Failure is never fun, you know? And I just remember he gave me a sandwich. He was like, Hey man, you're, you're probably hungry. He got to eat after he went first and passed. So him and my instructor went to eat and, uh, so I was hungry because I didn't go. I was taking the test while they ate food. So yeah, he gave me a sandwich and yeah, that was, I, I didn't know him all that well, but you know, that was my one real interaction with him and we had mutual friends and stuff as well. Uh, but yeah, so that was, that was very sad for me to see that. And I felt compelled to connect with you guys because I've been slowly developing my platform and, you know, trying to figure out ways that I can use it to kind of better the industry in any way that I can. Um, You know, my main focus is helping people get through training um, easier and, you know, with more money than I did after they're done. Uh, But, you know, I I identified with your guys' mission and that's why I reached out.
1: I'm so glad that you did. Um, We just actually had our podcast with Lydia, our recording, and had posted that show uh, a couple weeks ago. So it was fun to learn more about Joey and then hearing your story as someone who, does not know his wife. I'm sure Lydia will love to hear what you had to say about Joey, but he seems like he was just a nice kid. And unfortunately, you know, with mental health and aviation, you know, bad things have happened to a lot of people because of it. But I know this is not what I had wrote in the show notes, but I really wanted to ask you this question because as a CFI, you're probably training a lot of young people. So do you ever have those conversations with your students at all about? Uh, mental health and aviation
2: yeah I mean it's it's not something that comes up all the time but occasionally it does I've had a few students that um, were denied their medical or you know were kind of nervous to take their medical due to certain things that have happened in their past or uh, you know certain medications that they're taking and whatnot Um, so yeah I mean it comes up it's something that I think there's really, there's really no solution that I feel like exists right now that's going on. And it's just kind of a tough thing. No one really knows what to say, where the line is. Um, And it's a really, really difficult process to get your medical once you're sent to get it evaluated, whether or not you're going to be a candidate or not. And it takes up to two years for them to process. And so there's people that are, you know, switching careers And, you know, they're fully dedicated to training and they, they make this leap and then they get basically put in a two year waiting period. And that can be very tough for people, you know? So people are tempted to just lie and you can't really blame them. You know, when, when, you know, they're, they're so dedicated to doing this career, maybe someone that already has gone through the training and spent all the money and they're having issues and, you know, you can't really blame them for not wanting to admit it if it's going to potentially, you know, disqualify them from pursuing the career that they've spent thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars to to get qualified to to fly, you know. So it's it's a really tough situation. And I feel for people that are in it and I try and just tell people like, hey, you know, try and just answer as honestly as possible and just kind of, you know. Hope for the best. And if you get to the point where your medical is getting looked at, then we'll deal with it the best we can and we'll go through the process. But I mean it's it's one of those things where if people know that, like I'll just give you an example. Whenever I was going to fill out my medical, the person who advised me on who to find, and I won't say their name, but they were like, hey, just fill it out like you're the healthiest man alive. <laughs> That's I feel like kind of what gets passed around, you know? Because yeah that's just what, that's just what you do if you want to, if you want to pass, you know, and it shouldn't be that way. There should be more, more openness and there should be more regulation or not regulations, but I think really it should be laid out more directly on what would or would not disqualify you. Because I think really what, what the problem is, at least from my perspective, is that it seems very subjective and it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's case by case basis and it's an FAA decision. It's like, how are we supposed to know what's going to disqualify and what's not? So people are just tempted to just fill it out. Like they're the healthiest man alive, you know? And I don't know. So that's kind of rant over, but that's kind of <laughs> how, how it gets talked about, um, you're, you know, you're
1: speaking our language though. Cause I feel the same a lot of times, even as someone who deals like with this process and diving into what it entails and listening to all of what the FAA has to say and all these other organizations i honestly feel the same as you and like i don't want to give a pilot the wrong information because you know the fa has it written one way what you're supposed to do but then when they get up on a public platform they say something very different and so you feel like everything's so convoluted and like you said you go to your ame and they're like just you don't need to report this that or the other you know pretend like you're healthy And there's a lot of mixed signals because of the stigma. And so, like you said, I don't blame pilots who feel like, well, I'm just not going to fully tell the truth because this is something, like you said, they've spent a lot of time on, they spent a lot of money on. And quite honestly, it's a passion. It's not something that they're just doing for work. It's a passion thing. So, which is what the FAA also forgets, but they play on that a lot. They know that most pilots who are really passionate about flying will go through the two-year process of trying to get their medical. And talking about medicals, my next question for you was, um, when you actually go to renew your medical, what types of feelings come up for you? And then what would be your reaction if you did have to send your information to Oklahoma City, to the FAA for further investigation?
2: Mm. Yeah. Um, when I take my medical right now, it's, I don't really get that stressed out about it because I actually do feel like I'm extremely healthy. (laughs) I, Mm. uh, I'm blessed in that way, but I also work very hard to maintain and, and look after my health. I feel like at 25 right now, I'm in the best shape of my life, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually, everything. So I'm about to go and refresh my medical at the end of the year here. And I really don't feel nervous. I feel like I'm in better health than I was when I got it you know, when I first started training about five years ago. So I I don't feel too nervous, but I do, I would get extremely nervous if it got sent for an extra look, because then now I can't, you know, now I can't train or I can't work basically for another two years. I mean, that's going to, and then even then I'm worried throughout that two years, am I going to get it? And can I, you know, go to the airlines and do this job that i've worked so hard to be able to do so yeah that Mm -hmm. would that would be extremely stressful if it got sent away
1: so when you said you were in your best shape it just reminded me of that video you posted i think it was a really post about doing 75 hard did you do that because you were like well i need to be in good shape because i have to hold a medical or did you just do that because you wanted to be healthier
2: I think it was just because I wanted to be healthier. I I I'm the type of person that I don't really like to. I don't if I don't feel well, I don't accept that. I don't I don't like to just live in that state. So I got to a point where I was a bit unhappy with where I was in my life. Like I'd spent so much time grinding on aviation, getting my CFI, and and studying so much that my other parts of my life started to kind of like fall away. I felt like I was not in as good a shape as I had been in the past whether that be mentally or physically. And I just, I just didn't like the way that felt. So I really needed to change. And my brother actually was the one that was like, hey, we should do this 75 hard thing. I have a couple of friends that did it and they said it really helped them. So we just dove in together and we liked it so much we ended up doing the year long one. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, yeah, that was kind of that was kind of how it started. So it wasn't necessarily like with my, you know, medical in mind or anything, um, but it was it was something, you know, health and fitness is something that I've always been pretty passionate about. So for me to get to a point where I felt unhappy about how my health was, that was a pretty extreme thing for me. And, I, and it really bothered me for the short amount of time that I felt that way.
0: What is your like number one way to like take care of your mental health, like besides working out?
2: Hmm. I I'm a very uh, religious person or spiritual. I go to church every week. So I think that's something in, you know, it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily matters so much. um, You know, what religion you follow. I think it's just helpful to have like a spiritual guide to follow and someone to talk to and a community that will support you in your endeavors. So for me, that's going to church and, you know, having spiritual leaders in my life and mentors that will kind of guide me uh, to make sure that I'm mentally and spiritually healthy, that to me is something that I'm very passionate about. And this past year, as you know, when I say you know that shaped my life, I mean spiritually and mentally as well. Um, and I think you know that's something that some people don't want to talk about; it could be controversial. But to me, that's that's one of my one of the things in my formula for success is you know finding time to you know address the spiritual aspect of my life.
0: I think it's a great like baseline for morals. I grew up in the South and everyone is pretty religious here. And it's, it just gives you, I don't know if you use it and you apply apply it appropriately to your life, it does give you like a good, a good set of morals.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised, I was raised in a Christian home and there was, there's been times in my life where I've strayed away from that, but I I do feel like the times when I'm kind of living that lifestyle and, and, you know, following that guide, I always feel better and my life goes more successfully. So yeah, I don't, at this point in my life, I'm just not even fighting it. I'm like, let's do it. I'm in, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) just have have dove in at this point. So yeah, that's just kind of, you know, but that's, that's all, you know, different for everyone, you know, it's, it's a personal thing. And that's something that, I have personally found has has really helped me with my mental and emotional spiritual health. So
0: So kind of getting back to our questions, um, and I know you kind of explained this when we were talking about it previously, but if there was like one thing that you could change about the era medical system, what do you think it would be?
2: Yeah, yeah. I guess kind of just back to what I said before, I feel like, Just more defined uh, and laid out, um, I guess, standards for what they're looking for. I feel like it's pretty difficult to even find. I was kind of just digging around after we had talked on the phone last month. I was just kind of digging, digging around to see exactly what I could find when I looked at that. And it's pretty difficult to even find exactly what they're looking for. It's you have to go into what the guides they have for the medical examiners. And even in those guides, it all says, you know, case by case basis, FAA decision, uh, you know, so it's it's all just very vague, I think, is really what I don't like about it. And, you know, the fact that it's vague leads to a lot of uh, it leads it up. the pilots to kind of decide you know what they want to do and i don't think i think that's the problem you know if they had very laid out guidelines i think it would be a lot more helpful to raise awareness and and you know have it on the other end for the pilots to really understand exactly what's going on and what is and isn't an acceptable you know thing to to disclose and so Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Even if they did disclose it, right. I mean, there's people that might have those problems and not want to admit it because they can still lose their job, but I think it would at least help uh, more people. Let's say that there's someone that has a very minor um, let's say depression that they would be okay to fly with. And in the FAA, if they did go through the whole process and disclose it to the FAA, the FAA would accept them, but because they don't know that, They they don't disclose it and they don't get help. And their depression continues to get worse and worse and worse to the point that now it is a problem and they're still flying. (laughs) And it gets to the point where they're so unhappy that that they could potentially take their own life. So I think at some point, you know, they have to just say this is okay this is not this is the line and stop being so vague about it. Uh, There's still that doesn't solve everything, because there's still going to be people that are past that line that maybe don't want to give up their career uh, to get help. But at least it will, it will free up the people that, you know, are just starting to have problems, it will free them up to be able to get help. And that will maybe stop it at its source before it spirals into a point where it's, it's, uh, you know, too late for them to get help or, or maybe that it's so bad that they would have to stop flying. So that to me is where the problem lies and um, what that would actually look like to, to make the change happen. I don't know, but that to me, from a pilot's perspective is uh, where the problem lies.
1: I think you're spot on with, with that whole scenario of them being very um, convoluted. And, and I think that's to their favor, honestly, the FA, they make it that way so that the liability doesn't have to fall back on them. If they're very definitive about things, it's easier to blame them. So sometimes I think that's just how they want it because of liability. But I really agree with you on on what you said. Like, I wish it was more black and white and, and less gray area there. Um, yeah. And I really wanted to say too, Rich, is like you obviously have been affected because of knowing Joey Starr and, and, realizing that, but I also love that you wanted to come on the podcast and speak about it and have a conversation. Um, I think that it's important for all pilots to do, even if they're not struggling with anything, just to let other pilots know that you're on their side and you, you do care about this issue. So thank you for, for coming on and being brave and, and sharing with us your thoughts, especially about their medical system but what is your ultimate goal in aviation, your dream career that you're chasing?
2: Oh, wow. So when I first started, I thought it was going to be airlines. Uh, but as I've become a CFI and enjoyed it so much, I kind of want to own my own flight school now. So I think I could see myself, you know, flying for the airlines to, you know, develop the income that I need to start my family and get a house and do all those type of things. And Maybe, you know, stack up some cash and invest in my own plane and start teaching in that on the side and then maybe eventually do that full time. I don't know. Uh, But I don't really know what the future holds. I just know I'm going to be flying airplanes. (laughs) And as long as I am, I'll be happy. So. On Earth, but yeah, I mean, I think as long as I'm long as I'm flying, I'll be happy. I just I just love being up in the air.
1: Yeah, I could totally see you be like owning a flight school one day.
2: I hope so. Yeah, that would be, that would be incredible. I, uh, I, I could see it as well. I think it would be fun. And I, uh, the, where I did my private pilot training in Ocean City, Maryland, uh, the guy that owned the school, Mike Freed, he was so cool and just so helpful. And he was actually the one that did a lot of my primary instruction when I was learning. So I've always remembered that and just kind of, you know, seeing how, seeing that it can be done, you know, he was just a, just an instructor himself when he started it. So yeah, I don't know. I, I could definitely see that and yeah, I'm just going to keep working and keep going, keep flying see what happens.
1: Awesome.
0: Well, I'm excited to watch you hopefully reach all your goals and our audience probably will be too. So Where can we connect with you on social media?
2: So on Instagram and TikTok, my username is Rich underscore Rafferty. And on YouTube, you can just search my name, Rich Rafferty, and it'll come up. I'm going to be switching to YouTube here in the next couple of years. I'm going to slowly transfer over there more and more into long form content as I fly with the airlines and stuff. So yeah, either one of those places would be great. You guys can find me there and follow my journey.
1: Awesome. I really do enjoy following you on Instagram and all your fun like tutorial videos. I don't know how to fly, but I'm like, wow, these are very informative and I feel like I could learn if I watched enough of them. Um, oh, th-
2: thank you. Yeah. You're I had welcome. somebody I had somebody comment the other day and they said, "My toxic trait is that I think I can fly just from watching your videos."
1: <laughs> <laughs> but for real, I thought I'm that like, was wow. funny. <laughs> They're very informative and like easy to learn from. It's not like too over your head or anything, so yeah, I really enjoy watching them. Um, Thank you for but, saying that. It's very kind of So anyone listening, go follow Rich's Instagram and TikTok because he's got great videos. Um, but we're gonna move on to fun questions, which they're just like random fun questions. Answer them any way you want, but we all answer them. So I'll go. I'll ask you first, and then M. L. B. Second. But what is your favorite Halloween candy?
2: butterfinger for sure
1: Ooh. you're like speaking to the audience here i love butterfinger i actually <laughs> last night i forgot i had gotten halloween candy and i found it um and i probably had like 10 of the little candy bars which probably equals two big candy bars in real life which is terrible but the mini sizes of halloween candy is so easy to eat and I was like trying to find all the Butterfingers last night. So Butterfinger is also my favorite, which is so ironic. But yeah, it's a, love it. It's so good. It How is. It's wanna... the best one.
0: Oh, I love Almond Joy. I don't know Ooh. why, but I love Almond Joys.
1: <laughs> wow. Almond Joy is usually like people's least favorite. I know my husband hates coconut, so I always get all the almond joys. But I, I like almond joy as well. But I feel like most people don't like that that candy.
2: I wasn't gonna say it, but since you <laughs> brought it up, yeah, I'm not a fan.
1: <laughs> no, like, I don't know I've what it is. Like them. people really
0: don't like um, coconut, and I don't get it. Like coconut <laughs> is dank.
2: <laughs> I love that. Yeah, to each their own.
1: Yeah more for yeah. you
2: really i guess <laughs>
1: yeah true <for> <laughs> and was like give me all the coconut i'll eat it um okay so next question is rich what's your favorite airport and it can be a big airport or small airport just what's your favorite one
2: i would say ocean city maryland yeah, that one's my favorite. I, that's where I learned to fly, and it is so beautiful, just flying up and down the beach there. And I think it's a little bit of nostalgia as well, just because that's where I learned to fly. So flying in there is always a really cool experience for me.
1: I've never been to that airport. I feel just... like, I don't know, I probably haven't.
0: I've probably flown over it going to Pennsylvania, but mine is definitely in my hometown airport, Edenton um north carolina the k-e-d-e i think it is is the identifier that's um, such a cool airport it's right there on the water it's just awesome
2: yeah flying flying the beach is so beautiful it's it's just i don't know i've flown in the mountains i've flown in the beach i i prefer the beach i think it's so cool just seeing seeing all the water yeah it's beautiful you,
0: first flight is a good airport all?
1: uh Sorry, I was just going no, to no, ask, go, go you, for uh, it. have you flown on the West Coast at all, like up in uh, Washington, Alaska area? I have
2: not. It is definitely on the bucket list. I've actually only been to the West Coast one time, so I'm oh headed back gosh. out there. Actually, twice. I take that back twice. Okay. to California, both times. I have family out there, so okay. I'm headed back out again in January, but I won't be flying, so. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to, to do that. Alaska is on my list. Uh, it's high up there. Alaska and Hawaii are the top two right now. Yeah. So I think that's flying awesome. in Alaska is, is definitely going to be the move. Doing a little bush flying and taking up a Piper Cub or something. I think that would be really cool.
1: It will be amazing. Uh, that's where my dad used to fly. I used to be a bush pilot up there, but it's just unparalleled. Like the views, it's so beautiful. I remember one of the pilots that took us out for a tour. He said like that the Juneau area is called the land of a thousand greens just because there's so much greenery and all different kinds of colors. So I really feel like you will love it when you go. Um, I mean, I right fell down. in love with Alaska. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um, my favorite airport, it's funny. We all pick something that like has like a little sentimental value to us. So mine's pretty much the same. I love Bellingham airport. That's where I met my husband. That's my first, uh, where my aviation career kind of started was at that airport. So I will stick with that. <laughs> um nice. last question for you, Rich is what type of person are you when it comes to keeping your mouth fresh, your breath fresh? Are you a gum <laughs> person, a mince person, or do you just use mouthwash?
2: gum and mints for sure i i would say primarily gum i use blue five gum uh the most with the blue flavor i don't even know what it's called uh but yeah that's what i use mostly that's what i buy but my flight school has mints at the front desk and i will literally probably eat like 10 of those a day so (laughs) some kind of combination and it's just like the classic like lifesaver mints that they have so a combination of those but I think if I didn't work for that flight school and I wasn't there every day, I probably wouldn't buy the mints. So I'm gonna stick with the blue five gum.
1: I don't think I've had blue five gum before.
0: I like the um the extra. Uh, I cannot think of what the flavor is, but I love anything that's like spearmint flavor. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like the um <clears throat> the the lifesaver mints that you're talking about, Rich. I love yeah. those.
1: Those are so good. I like those too. I but I'm not really a mince person. I'm definitely a gum person. My husband is obsessed with gum. So, like if we run he has gum for the car, gum for the house, gum in his uh uniform in the front pocket. It's everywhere in our house. But he is a big bubble gum fan. And you know, when you're married, you're basically one person. So that is that's my go-to bubble gum. Um, Orbit is what cool, I, but I do.
2: I love my pop gum every day, all day. Yeah, yeah, But yeah, the gum actually helps. I would say when you're when you're flying because it kind of i uh, I'm sorry. I think I might have cut out a little bit. Can you guys hear
1: me? Yeah, you're good.
2: Okay. Uh, yeah. So the uh the gum actually helps when you're going up and down in altitude. So oh, I, that's yes. why I I try and chew that when I'm flying because a lot of times we'll do you know I'll climb and descent climbing, climbing descend almost like, you know, 10 times a day. So it helps to be chewing something when I'm up there.
1: I actually forgot about that, but yeah, I just, uh, that's one of my things that I do. I think for stress is that I grind my teeth or like clinch. And so gum, like kind of gives me a little stress relief, I guess it probably helps with my anxiety or something, but yeah, I feel like I just need to like chew on something. So that's, That's the story on me, (laughs) (laughs) I guess with that, since Emma's not feeling well today, Rich, I just wanted to thank you again for coming on the show today. And we are so grateful for all of our listeners. Remember guys, when you rate our show, subscribe or share it, it helps our platform grow as well as the mental health and aviation movement. So go ahead and do that for us or leave us a review so we can hear from you. And with that, keep the blue side up and the brown side down.